Welcome to the Endurance Horse Podcast, where endurance riders from all across the globe gather, sharing their stories, goals, and progress as they train for and compete in endurance events at every level. So kick off your shoes, pull up a chair, and listen as we gather around the virtual campfire and listen to friends from across the world. Hello, and welcome to the 50th episode of Endurance Horse Podcast. Thank you so much for your support over the years. I truly appreciate it. Today on Endurance Horse Podcast, we will be talking with Lizanne Fear and Hannah Catalino. Lizanne and Hannah are embarking on a wild ride across America to inspire the adoption of the living legend, the American Mustang. They began on the Delaware shores today, September 28, 2021. They are following the American Discovery Trail Southern Route. Lizanne and Hannah plan on being at the Celebration of the Horse on October 2nd from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. in Queen Anne, Maryland. This event will be hosted at the Tuckahoe Equestrian Center. It is their hope to inspire and help people discover how truly incredible these wild horses are. Hannah and Lizanne will be riding 5,000 miles across America following the American Discovery Trail. It is their hope to help people discover how truly incredible these wild horses are and how versatile they can be. To do this, Hannah and Lizanne are riding 5,000 miles across America and they hope to inspire the adoption of 5,000 or more Mustangs. We are celebrating the 50th episode of Endurance Horse Podcast, though also 2021 marks the 50th anniversary of the Wild Free Roaming Horses and Burroughs Act of 1971. Velma B. Johnston, also known affectionately as Wild Horse Annie, worked tirelessly to protect the Mustang. And now 50 years later, here we are. We have two young riders on the 50th episode of Endurance Horse Podcast, carrying on the legacy of Wild Horse Annie to protect and preserve America's horse, and they are doing so on America's trail. Without further ado, I bring to you episode 50 of Endurance Horse Podcast. So today on Endurance Horse Podcast, we're talking to Hannah and Lisanne tip trainers for the Mustang Makeover, and they are doing a 5,000-mile trek across the United States. You might think, well, 5,000 miles isn't the country 3,000 miles, but not on this trail. This trail goes north and south. Is that correct, ladies? Yeah, it kind of snakes across America a little bit. So could you tell us yeah, a little bit? Yeah, there's a lot of zigging and zagging. So let's up front talk a little bit about the American Discovery Trail before we get into the Mustangs. And could you tell me a little bit about what is going on in Congress right now and how they're trying to get it to be a national trail. Yeah, so right now the American Discovery Trail isn't recognized on the same level as, let's say, like the Continental Divide Trail, which is kind of like the home trail where Hannah and I both come from, um, or the Pacific Crest Trail or the Appalachian Trail on the East Coast. And so they're just trying to get the same national recognition that those three trails have. Um, it's not requiring any money on the taxpayer's part. 
Uh, it's completely free. They just want the recognition and to be on the same level as already currently existing major trails do. So where you'll be starting this trail will be in Delaware. Is that correct? And where will you be ending? Yeah, so the trail starts at Cape Henelopen in Delaware, which is really close to Lewis, Delaware. And then it travels through, uh, there's two routes, actually. There's a northern route and a southern route. We chose to take the southern route since we're riding through the wintertime a little bit. So it'll go from Delaware through Maryland, through West Virginia, southern Ohio, southern Indiana, Illinois. Missouri, Kansas, Colorado, Utah, Nevada, and then it finishes in California. The trail originally finishes in San Francisco, but unfortunately we're not able to get the permitting to ride our horses across the Mm -hmm. Golden Gate Bridge as I would really love to. Uh, So we're actually going to take a detour and go up north through wine country and finish somewhere just north of where the trail actually ends. You know, wine country sounds better than the Golden Gate bridge but I could see wanting to go across that I could see that (laughs) yeah I'm pretty excited for being in wine country especially at the end of our long year (laughs) (laughs) I bet okay so I'm going to start off with some of the standard questions we ask everybody on this podcast and if each one of you could could answer how did you get into horses I can take this one or start off. So it's kind of funny. I mean, I grew up in San Antonio. I didn't really, I lived in the city, didn't have any horses, but I always loved horses. And my dad got my brother a dirt bike and my mom said that wasn't fair. And so I got my first horse when I was 12 and it was kind of history from there. So um, we like to joke that I was riding before I was ever born because there's a photo of my mom on a horse pregnant with me at the time and so because of that like I mean I feel like I was definitely kind of born on the horse I actually just got lunch the other day with my dad and I was telling him I was like man dad it's crazy how I like went from the ranch to here and talking about a whole bunch of different deals and everything he's like oh man I should have never bought you that a uh, damn pony <laughs> and my father bought me a pony uh he bought me two ponies like the year that I was born they were born and he figured by the time that they were old enough to be like broke to ride and drive uh I would be old enough to kind of ride on my own as well and it's just kind of crazy how it went from Shetland pony crosses to American quarter horses to paint horses and now to the Mustangs through the years. Speaking of the Mustangs, how did you become interested in Mustangs? If you could both answer. Uh, Well, I actually got into the Mustangs just by watching some YouTube videos. I I really loved watching, um, just getting ideas from other really creative trainers. And I was, you know, just going through videos and there uh, was this video of these years who were doing Mustang challenges, 100-day Mustang challenges with yearlings. And I was like, at the time, I was showing miniature horses. So that was something that I just like locked onto right away. I was like, oh my gosh, that's basically what I do with a miniature horse, but it's way cooler. It's with a wild horse. And, you know, just the idea that you get to help one of these horses that desperately need 
uh, homes. It just seemed like such a fascinating idea. Thankfully, you know, we were able to uh, actually, I adopted not one Mustang at once, but I had two Mustang yearlings. Uh, my first go round, I'd never even seen a Mustang before. I just instantly like just fell in love with them. I mean, they're just such amazing horses and I just, I can't imagine, like, I don't know, I just don't know what my life would have been like without them. And how did that go when you got your first one? And that was my first Mustang makeover. I competed at 17. I had two yearlings against about 66 other youth. Uh, Both my Mustangs made the finals, uh, which was super exciting. My parents didn't think both of them would make it. So we didn't make all of our props for the freestyle until the night before. So I stayed up, you know, I only got two hours of sleep that night. And so I was like, totally not with it uh, the next day. Uh, but it was, it was really great, really fun. I mean, my horses, one of them did awesome. The other one uh, actually kicked me for the first time. He never kicked me the whole time that I was gentling him or anything. And he kicked me in the middle of my freestyle right in front of everybody. It was just, you know, he was a yearling that's been stalled and he never, I mean, he hadn't really been stalled a lot and it, it was in Fort Worth, Texas. So you know, it's really hot. It's summertime. And then they go into that AC in those arenas. And Mm -hmm. oh my goodness, he was just so excited. He couldn't contain himself. Um, It wasn't anything malicious or anything, but it was like, so I I had a kind of a mixed experience the first go around. I mean, I was proud of both of them, but it was, uh, yeah, just really amazing. I mean, from there, I was just, I definitely wanted to uh, continue with them. I was going to say, it didn't seem to deter you at all. (laughs) So it must've, must've went well. (laughs) No, no. And I really wasn't riding a lot because I was showing minis mostly. And so, you know, in hand was being in the youth was what I was most comfortable being in. Uh, But I was so just in love with the Mustangs and the makeovers that I was willing to the next year when I turned 18. At the time, they didn't really have a lot of these tip challenges that they have now. So I had to, as an adult, if I want to continue to compete in makeovers, I had to now ride and I hadn't even been riding like over a year before I started my first horse under saddle for that next competition with my next Mustang. And uh, yeah, that didn't deter me at all. I got a really amazing Mustang and uh, out of 200 entries, it was the Mustang Million in 2013. Yeah, the biggest makeover like ever. We still were able to make the top third. So that was really exciting. How did you become interested in Mustangs? I had grown up predominantly on either grade horses or American quarter horses. My grandfather really does not like paint horses, but my very first horse actually ended up being a paint horse. And that was kind of like uh, my first disappointment to my grandfather. But then I started winning like best of shows on him. And after that, like grandpa was kind of okay. But at that time, everything in my life leading up to that, Mustangs were kind of referred to as desert rats. And I grew up just 100 miles north of the Rock Springs Corral in Wyoming. And so I just didn't think much of them at that time. But then I went to college and I was riding anything I could get on that would put a little bit more food on the table. And one of my clients in Utah, she actually had a little Mustang that she wanted me to train. And I was like, all right, yeah, I'm game. And this little mare just showed me like, how kind and trustworthy Mustangs really are. She was just so sweet. And I actually 
uh, seven years later after first starting that horse, she's now a part of my personal herd and I wouldn't have it any other way. But due to that client uh, putting me on that Mustang, she told me to go watch this film called Wild Horse, Wild Ride, which is about the extreme Mustang Mm -hmm. makeover the Mustang Heritage Foundation puts on. And I went and watched it that night and I came back the next day to the barn I was like, oh, my gosh, I want to enter a makeover. And she was like, oh, I figured you would. And she had already printed out the application and filled out one of the references and talked to another client of mine to fill out the other reference. And so, like, my application was, like, set to go. Yeah, it was just kind of a whirlwind after that. I was entered in the 2014 Dream Mustang makeover in Nampa, Idaho. For that competition, like, you just have a random horse thrown into your trailer. And that horse ended up being my... Finn and he's just my everything horse but also because of that competition I met Hannah through it and so I mean that that competition really changed my life forever and ever since then I have only ever bought Mustangs for my own personal herd. Could you explain to the listeners what a tip trainer is? A tip trainer is a trainer that goes through an application process. They have to be approved through the Mustang Heritage Foundation and through the BLM criteria of having the correct facilities and the right references. A petitioner's job is to pick up the wild horse. Sometimes they work with an adopter. They kind of know what an adopter would like, or they just go and select horses that are in need of a home. These are generally horses between the ages of usually around like two up to eight years old, sometimes older, uh, but generally the population that they have for adopting out and tip training is around that range. That's the more adoptable, uh, what's considered adoptable age range. And these horses are usually, sometimes they're of color, but usually it's geared, a program geared towards the plainer colors so that they also are getting attention and training. And through this program, the trainer's job is to bring the horse to their facility, which is already approved. And then what the teacher does is They have to teach the horse to halter and catch. They have to pick up their feet and also trailer load. What it does is it's an amazing program that really bridges. These horses aren't totally gentle. So, like, if you bought a horse through a Mustang makeover, these horses are, you know, more educated. They're still green horses with only 100 days of training, but they're much more educated than the tip horse. The tip horse is going to be one that's, partly gentle, partly still in that phase of learning what the human world is. And the trainer is just there to help still provide a horse um, for someone to adopt at the same uh, cost, $125, as someone would be buying if it was totally wild, if they went to the BLM and selected it themselves. But they have the added bonus of someone experienced going in and actually starting to put that foundation and that initial training on the horse, which is really an amazing tool for people that maybe aren't super comfortable just starting out with a wild horse. Maybe they don't have the facilities, or maybe they just really, you know, when you're going and selecting horses at BLM Corrals, you can't always tell what their personality is going to be like. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you can go up and pet them and, you know, see if they like you and all of that. I mean, sometimes there are really friendly ones, but it's not always that case. And this way they can go and meet the horse and, and see if it's the right fit. So it's a really an awesome, an awesome program for people that maybe don't, again, don't have the facilities or they really just want to have a really better, better idea of what, what horse they're getting. 
Now, the last time I looked at some statistics for the top breeds in endurance, the top breed is obviously Arabian, and the next is half Arabian. But I do think that the third top breed of horse was a Mustang. And I know that a Mustang won the Hagen Cup at the Tevis Cup not too long ago. Um, so if one of our listeners thought, you know, I'm really thinking about a Mustang, but I'm not somebody who can start a horse, a wild horse. So they could contact a tip trainer and maybe that person would have a horse ready. Or could they work with a tip trainer to go to an adoption and say, I'd like to adopt this horse and have you start it for me? Is that a possibility? Oh, yeah, that's definitely something. And, and every tip trainer works a little differently. So, you know, trying to talk to different tip trainers, maybe in one's area um, and kind of seeing what what kind of training they do. See, you know, distance. It, it's really great when it's a trainer that's close enough that the adopter can build a relationship with the horse as it's being gentled. Some, some trainers do that. If it's a horse that if there isn't already a horse and that person reaches out and says, Hey, like this is what my goals are. I'd really like to do this. That trainer can keep that in mind as they start either selecting horses or as they get horses in and they get to this horse that they're like, Oh wow, this person make an amazing endurance horse. Uh, that's definitely um, a way to open up the conversation and start making some connections. Tip training is really focused on the groundwork, but there are tip trainers out there that are willing to go to saddle starting. So it's just a matter of finding the right trainer that fits for what you're looking for. What do you think is the biggest obstacle to the general public adopting Mustangs? So that's something that we're trying to approach with our Mustang Discovery Ride that we're doing. Uh, we'll be doing demonstrations and clinics along the way. I think another obstacle that can sometimes make people a little hesitant is just you know, the stigma sometimes around Mustangs to the general public, they either have like this romanticized uh, image or they have this really negative, untamable image. And so I just would like to say that I think, you know, breaking through and that's part of what this trip is about is showing that in communities across the U.S., our goal is to show that these horses can be trained. They can make amazing partners. They're not all wild and untrainable. They're really amazing horses. And um, I had actually the one that I competed in, competed with in the Mustang Million in 2013. She was actually a lesson horse for six years before I was like, you know what? I really miss that horse. I kind of want to add her back into my herd. So, you know, every horse is going to be different. Uh, Not all of them are going to always meet what it is that someone's looking for. So that's why it is really important to get the right horse. But I think sometimes people are really maybe initially a little unsure about, oh, this wild animal, but they're, they make such amazing horses. And that's one of the reasons that we're really, you know, trying to do this trip. And we're not, and that's also another uh, positive to us, not just going along the Continental Divide Trail or one of those is we'll actually be going through many communities that maybe don't know a lot about horses, or maybe they do love horses and they never knew that a, a wild Mustang could, could do what we're doing and so just again the educational aspect beyond just how do you train a wild mustang but proving and and showcasing what they can do in uh in a non-arena atmosphere you know one of the 
things I always ask people that are on the podcast is is how they got into horses. And you just might be part of somebody's story a few years down the road because they might say, well, these two women rode through with Mustangs and I just had to have one or I just fell in love with them. So, you know, you could be sparking um, new horse owners all along your route also, hopefully. Yeah. So the very first Mustang that I ever rode, um, she was actually adopted by a gal who lived in the city in Salt Lake. And she just knew that she wanted and needed a Mustang in her life. And so she was able to go out and find the right resources. Like she found a tip trainer down there in Utah who first initially started her and got her team down. And then she transferred facilities, which was closer to her house. And she found me. And I mean, because like she was so determined to own a Mustang, I mean, she got me into Mustangs and now we're here. And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, I would love it if we inspired some people because I never expected city dweller to inspire me to go down the Mustang (laughs) path. But I mean, she, (laughs) she did what she needed to do and she made it happen. I mean, she was just so determined. And because of that, the idea of the butterfly effect radiating out. I mean, I owe a lot of it to my first Mustang client. So tell me about this dream that you two have and how you were inspired to do the Mustang Discovery Trail. So, I mean, Lasanne had actually, after we had met in Nampa, Idaho, back in 2014, uh, Lasanne was actually my first intern uh, when I started to get really serious into teaching students. So... We kind of re, like really reconnected through that time period. And, but, you know, we didn't want to repeat unbranded by any means. So then we started looking at the Pacific Crest Trail, which is along the West Coast. But we realized that Hannah has um, sickle cell traits, so she can't be at high altitudes for long periods of time. It changes the shape of her blood cells. Mm-hmm. and does internal damage. So um, we then looked at the Appalachian Trail, which would have been fine altitude-wise for Hannah, but they don't allow horses on that. And kind of at that point, Hannah was like, well, I can't really do this. Like, good luck. I'll be supportive. And I was like, oh, no, we'll find something. And sure enough, with some more research, Hannah stumbled across the American Discovery Trail And our trip went from like maybe being a month long to possibly, you know, just doing a summer of 2,500 miles, which would have been the Continental Divide or the Pacific Crest Trail, to now going 5,000 miles all across America for an entire year. (laughs) So 5,000 miles across America where you're going to stop and give clinics, right? And that you're going to promote the Mustang and... You're going to make a documentary also along the way, and it sounds like training videos, quite quite the undertaking. And then when I spoke to your director, she and I thought we can create a virtual so that people can go along with you in spirit and support you, and they'd be able to donate by signing up. They're automatically donating, but then they would also have an option at the end to donate more to your trip. But on top of that, is it... It's also that they can actually physically join you. If, if you're coming through their area, you're going to try to make it available so that, let's say if you're going through Indiana or something, and there's somebody that lives near there, they could possibly haul in and ride with you for a short distance. Is that correct? 
Yeah. So the way that Lisa, our director, has kind of talked about it is if people want to come ride with us, uh, they have to make a donation. Mm-hmm. I don't currently know what that donation amount is. We might check with Lisa on that. Mm-hmm. Um, we would like to say, though, like it would be great if people had prepped their horses for like road riding and along highways mm-hmm. um, because the horses are exposed to a lot of traffic. So like we're just trying to think about safety being number one for anyone and all. Uh, but yeah, we're more than welcome to the idea of anyone coming with us as long as like them and their horses are ready for whatever the trail throws at them. Absolutely. What is your ultimate vision of what this ride will accomplish? We are looking for this ride to inspire the adoption of 5,000 Mustang from holding. And we're really excited about our partnership with Mustang Heritage Foundation because of all of their fantastic programs like the Extreme Mustang Makeover and the TIP training program to make that actually happen. So we're super stoked to be partnered with them, but also to inspire and educate the American public. The more horses that we can get out of holding, the better for everyone, especially the horses. And another goal that we have with this, and it's coming uh, to life is doing this uh, docu-series uh, that we're filming, we're working on through our director, uh, Lisa Pearson. And uh, with that, the film will just help us reach more audiences because just us on our trail, just our social media won't be able to maybe reach what we need to, to make that 5,000 goal. But through the series, we're really hoping that that just reaches so many uh, such a greater audience when people are donating they're they're donating not just to this trip but they're also making your documentary possible so when people are giving to you they're really giving to the future of the mustang for many years not just this year of travel that you're doing but many years into the future that people and generations get to see this documentary Yeah, I mean, the reality of the situation is, is like, as of this spring, the numbers were, there's 53,000 horses in holding with the BLM right now. And so like our 5,000 is less than 10% of what's actually out there. And so our goal is actually to help more than just 5,000. We want to help all 50,000. This is just what we're trying to accomplish in our year with this project. But yes, Mustang Discovery Foundation is definitely focused on helping all Mustangs, not just 5,000. And it's about more than the Mustangs, right? Can you tell me a little bit about Tito, your burrito, your burrito, (laughs) your burrow? (laughs) Tell me about Tito, the burrow. (laughs) I love that he's a, I I call him a burrito all the time. So that's okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So Tito joined my herd two years ago now, which is crazy to think about. And he's just been a fantastic addition to the team. He's quite the little pack bro. Although I haven't done much with him this summer. And because of that, Hannah actually trained up a bro uh, who might be joining us very soon out east. I'll let Hannah talk about her bro. Yeah, so I competed in my first bro challenge. I've been doing the Mustangs uh, almost every year uh, in the challenges for... This would have been my ninth year, uh, but I finally decided, you know what, I've adopted and I've tip trained a couple burrows, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and give this 100-day burrow challenge a try. So I competed in Nampa 
Idaho again in a Mustang Mania challenge. And it's actually the year before was the same one that Tito was in, uh, Los Angeles. And I just absolutely, I mean, my little burrow, Cody, he just was phenomenal. Uh, he was a seven-year-old, so he was one of the oldest ones in the competition, but he's just like the right age. He's about 12 one hands, uh, like just really sturdy, like would make a really good pack animal. I taught him to drive and did all the groundwork for the, the competition. We actually uh, were champions of the burrow division, so that was super wow. exciting. And, uh, he actually, I just started him under saddle, uh, last, uh, week. Um, and by the time I put that foundation on the hundred day, you know, groundwork and driving and everything, um, he, he also is riding now. So yeah, he's really great. I've been working really hard on, you know, making sure he can keep up with the horses when ponying and, and working on the packing. And he's just such a lovely, just adorable guy. He just goes around, you go out into the the pasture and he's the first one to come over and just wants to be loved on. And I don't know what took me so long to get into them. I'm like, where have burrows been my whole life? Uh, (laughs) They're, they're pretty amazing creatures and they need homes too. And, and, you know, some people just want a pet and maybe they don't want, you know, to commit to a Mustang, which is going to eat more, just want a buddy to go packing with or hiking or maybe to teach to drive. And the burrows are just so awesome for that. There's actually people that compete in Colorado and burrow pack racing that we've been in contact with, kind of just trying to learn more about the donkey training. And uh, there's so much that someone can do with the burrows, you know, maybe if they don't feel comfortable riding or they, for whatever reason, don't want to do that anymore. And they're just such amazing creatures. I just, I, I love them. Yeah. Last time I checked, there's 15,000 burrows in holding that need homes too. And I have to say, they're kind of like potato chips. You can't have just one. <laughs> <laughs> I could see your burrows having a, ch- a children's book. We're currently talking with a publisher right now. I don't want to say any names because I don't want to jinx anything, but... <laughs> They want us to write a memoir of the trip, a table book uh, for the trip with like pictures and everything. Mm -hmm. And then they want us to do a children's series, which Hannah and I are super excited about to just kind of feature more of our horses and burrows. And even our dogs are coming with us on this trip. You know, the world needs more positivity right now. And I feel like that's what you two ladies are doing is putting out some more positivity in the world. Well, ladies, it has been a pleasure talking to you, and I hope that we can catch up with you both out on the trail at least once a month. I know you have other commitments, but um, if you could text me and and we'll set up a time and we'll try to keep people updated. And again, they can virtually join you by doing the virtual 5,000-mile challenge that we're going to offer. And I'm thinking if 500 people signed up and and they all donated another $5 because we're, we're donating the $5 automatically. And then if they donate another $5. It's so also $5,000, yeah. which fits with the whole 5,000 miles and yeah. 5,000 Mustangs. That would be phenomenal. So if we could get everybody to sign up to also donate $5, we would be donating $5,000, which would help your trip tremendously. Plus, they would be riding along with you in spirit. That would mean a lot to, to both of you to these riders who could never get away to do a trip like you're doing. I think that they would love to support you and get to see the documentary when it's all put together. Yeah, that sounds phenomenal. Yeah, and so much thanks to anyone who does, like, 
decide to join and, and help us out and help us things out. I mean, it's only through this community that we're, we're able to do this. So, so, so much thanks to, to everyone who does join or, you know, who follows along. That, that just goes so far. Yeah, we're all here for the love of the horse. It doesn't necessarily have to be the love of the Mustang. I mean, the love of the horse runs so deep pretty much in every little girl out there and everyone who wants to be a cowboy. So we're all here for the love of these like amazing creatures. That's absolutely true because you right. You don't have to be a huge fan of the Mustang. You just have to be a huge fan of the horse because I'm sure everyone who listens to this is aware that there aren't as many farms down the road that you're driving by that has a horse on. There aren't as many horse owners. It has been on a steady decline in all breeds, in all disciplines. It's just been on a decline. And here you two are going to take a whole herd of animals and burrows and your dogs, and you're going to travel and and advertise not just the Mustang, but bring the horse back into the public's eye again. And I want to thank you both for that. Yeah, thank you for hosting us and having us on your show today. Thank you. I hope we get to talk again soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to episode 50 of Endurance Horse Podcast. I hope you enjoyed hearing about the Mustang Discovery Ride. If you live along the route the riders are taking and you would like to have them hold a clinic at your stable or a meet and greet at your facility, or if you would like to ride along with them, please contact Lisa Dearson at lisa at equusfilmfestival.net or you can email us at endurancehorsepodcast at gmail.com and I will be sure to forward your message to Lisa. To join the virtual challenge, please visit warhorseendurance.com. It's one word, warhorseendurance.com and you will see Sting Discovery Trail 5,000 mile challenge to sign up and support these wonderful trainers who are taking this epic journey across our country. If you have enjoyed Endurance Horse Podcast, please go over to Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and give us a positive five-star rating. Remember, the podcast is free and commercial-free, so we appreciate your positive rating. It helps Endurance Horse Podcast stay higher in the search results. Ride far, ride well, ride often. Until we meet again, happy trails. share your story on Endurance Horse Podcast, send an email to endurancehorsepodcast at gmail.com. We enjoyed having you along for the ride. Endurance Horse Podcast is where you get to share your adventures of riding good horses through beautiful country. Many stresses in life are washed away by a good gallop, a steady trot, or by simply saddling up your favorite horse for an easy ride. Remember, every mile a memory.